And welcome to the Hard Guide Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse HS, and welcome to the very special Stephen King edition of the Hard Guide Media Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to have several guests, all friends. Uh, my first guest is going to be with us uh, shortly, in a minute or so. Um, and yeah, we're going to talk everything Stephen King, uh, mostly the film adaptations, because this is a film podcast. Uh, but we are going to dive into the novels that where these, you know, great stories originated from, uh, you know, the mind of Stephen King. And it's funny that yesterday was his birthday, so it's very fitting that we're doing the Stephen King podcast uh, today. Uh, you know, October's right around the corner, and there's so many perfect adapta- film adaptations of his work, of his, you know, his novels that have been, uh, you know, adapted to film that have been, I think, brought to a wider audience for people to appreciate on a a wider scale just because so many people don't read and you know as years go on most people a lot of people are getting away from reading uh more so myself included i haven't read a full book in a long time uh but you know the first book i ever read in full was pet cemetery so everything about reading was introduced to me from stephen king and his style and way of storytelling so i mean any kind of uh articulation or sense of uh intelligence i may shimmer uh just talking in this podcast and and they're brief moments but uh they stem from you know the way stephen king told stories and what i kind of took from how he explained and you know painted a a very graphic and usually violent or you know disturbing picture which you know got me off turned me on uh so yeah we're gonna dive into a lot of different stuff and just kind of ask each person that's gonna appear what their kind of introduction to King was and where they kind of became a little more acquainted with, you know, his works, uh, whether it was from film adaptations, uh, where I first discovered him or not. And we actually have, uh, my good friend Lou on the podcast right now. Lou, how's it going, brother? Yeah, what's up, dude? How you doing? Good, man. Uh, yeah, so Stephen King podcast. I mean, we were just talking about, uh, you know, he's obviously the, gonna. Be, this is the focal point of the episode, and you know, you uh, you would uh, inquired that you would uh, like to participate because uh, you are a King fan as well. What was the first work that you know you kind of got introduced to? Uh, was it film or or was it a novel that introduced you to King? It was definitely a novel. Um, I can't remember what grade it was. I think it might have been like fourth, fifth grade. I just kind of started really getting into like four books. Um, I think what kicked it off, honestly, was, like, Goosebumps, and then I segued into some of the other stuff, like Choose Your Own Adventure, which wasn't really horror, but it was still kind of that, like, you're picking things as you want to go. And from there, I read Amityville 4, because, like, one of my parents suggested it, and then I read Salem's Lot. Um, I stumbled across that, I think, like, Canisota Public Library, and it was awesome. I, I'd never really read a book that goes into such detail about a whole town that's affected by, like, one single event. So, as you know, like, whether it's you've read the book or even watching the miniseries, um, I think with David Soul, who played Father Callahan, you, you basically get thrown into this town, which is, it, it, it drove me nuts because as this town was going through basically hell um, with Straker and Barlow, you're kind of right there with it. You're feeling for him because literally you know so much about all these characters. So, in a nutshell, like, Salem's Lot, this book, that really, like, set me in motion for, like, becoming obsessed with this writer. And 
it was kind of all over from there. And I, I think, uh, and I was just kind of explaining, and you know, I can't, I can't say it enough. His style of writing is what kind of, uh, I mean, obviously, for me, the first time I got introduced to him wasn't by a novel. It was by the movie Pet Cemetery, and then immediately, as soon as I realized that that was, you know, it was a film adaptation of a book. I that was the very first book I ever read in full ever in my entire life at like eight or nine years old. And, oh, it, it, and he had such a such a different way, and I I think I still think it sets him apart with how he told the story, how he could get the reader invested in it almost immediately, and you know he wrote characters that you cared about, and like I said, he he just kind of got you kind of enthralled and engaged with everything that was happening throughout just the storytelling process. Oh, it's it's absolutely unreal, and. You know, I've talked to some people that they kind of complain a little bit about Stephen King and his style. They're like, oh, he's too long-winded. But it's like, yes, that's his style, his patent trademark. But that, like we pretty much have both said, it's like, that's what gets you so vested in these characters. You know, and, and that's like something that movies and, and other books, like they kind of, some, some of them struggle with because it's like, you're given these characters, you're given these scenarios, and it's like, by the end of it, or by like the climax of the book or the movie, it's like, I don't really care enough. It, it, it could be a fun book, it could be a fun movie, but it's like, I don't know enough, and Stephen King goes to like painstaking detail to describe everything about these characters, and it's great. Yeah, he's never struggled with like executing like development, whether it be, you know, simply describing all those, you know, small Maine towns in the state of Maine, the setting of Maine almost plays, you know, it's a proponent, it's a character in and of itself with all those, all those stories. Right. And, and that's, I, I find that also super fascinating too. It's, I'm, I'm sure you've mentioned it already, or maybe it even hasn't been brought up, but it's like the entire Stephen King like universe and it's great because it all ties in, obviously, with, like, the Dark Power and the Gunslinger and stuff like that, like, that seven or eight book, like, series, depending on if you count, like, went to the keyhole as being part of that, even though it was written after the fact. Regardless, everything has its, has there's threads into all of his books. And obviously with, like, Bangor, Maine, and Maine as a state, um, but also through the East Coast, and then you move out west, like, Boulder and Sidewinder, Colorado, it's, like, all of these different areas, they're all intertwined in this universe that he's created throughout his whole career. It, it, it's mind-blowing, like, to say the very least. I can't even get it, like, I can't even speak highly enough about it because it's just, I, that's what I love so much about it. Everything ties together. And once you have that realization, for me, I was like, I think I was reading Black House, when, which is like the sequel to, um, oh, shit, what was that? It was a sequel to The Talisman, which he co-wrote with uh, Straub, Peter Straub. Once I like got to a certain point, I'm like, oh my God, Like everything ties together. And then I did more research, and I got into these holes, and it's like, wow, all, all my suspicions were confirmed. This is why I'm obsessed with this guy. You know, like, it was just awesome. Yeah, he's, it's always just been, you know, I feel like once you get, even whether you're touching, you know, the tip of the iceberg or you're fully invested into, you know, the world of his stories and all, everything that he kind of uh, has written or, or what have you, uh, I feel like you can't help but appreciate and be so intrigued by the person 
who he is because so much of who he is shines through all those books and it's super complicated it's it's super you know twisted and he just reads kind of uh as probably one of obviously it goes without saying you know he's he's obviously one of the greatest uh writers uh, of all time uh so he shouldn't be pigeon held just because he was you know more so a horror writer you know, a lot of people forget that, you know, he wrote things like The Body, which was adapted to Stand By Me, which is an amazing, like, probably the best coming of age and friendship tale ever told in either film or uh, novelization. Absolutely. That, that's one of the works I haven't been able to read. I've seen the movie, and you're absolutely right. It's like, even without having read it, which... I'm kind of, I'm split. It's like, obviously, it's like, yes, I always want to be able to read it, whether it's before or after watching it. But that was definitely one of those that kind of got away from me. It was kind of like the Green Mile. It's like, yeah, when it was first, like, I think released the Green Mile, they released it in, like, either, like, pamphlets, and then they combined it all together after the film had come out, or some version of that. But, again, I saw saw Green Mile, I saw um, Stand By Me, and I never followed up, even though I knew it was always there. I don't want to say it took it for granted, but it was like, these movies are so good, I can't even imagine what the books are going to be like. I've got other works that I kind of want to get into, and I haven't revisited it. And now, like, talking about it again, it's like, oh, shit, those do exist, and I have been ignoring those. What's my fucking problem? You know, like, but, yeah, man, just, it, 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 the more that I get into his, like, his works, and I've, I don't even know where I am because I jump around all over the place. Like, I don't follow from, like, this first book all the way through. I've jumped all over. But the more that I read, the more I just fall in love with the guy. It's awesome. Yeah, and it just feels like he's done so much that, I mean, it, it can really be never-ending as far as, you know, things you're going to newly discover. Or, you know, I think equally, probably more people, you know, obviously the film adaptations have reached a wider de- demographic just because more people watch movies than they do than they read books. But I think... Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, absolutely. and I think, I think um, a lot of, in a lot of uh, respects, those film adaptations have opened people up to want to go read the books because as soon as I figured out, you know, I watched my very first Stephen King adaptation, which was Pet Cemetery. As soon as I found out it was a book, I immediately went to the Canastota Public Library library and rented it or, you know, rent it, whatever you call it, rented it out, borrowed, whatever their, whatever their... Find it out? Check it out? I, I mean... I never, it's like, I'm going to get a book in the library. I don't even know how you'd refer to that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just picked it up from the library. I, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I had probably probably 20 to $30, and I think it was only like 30 cents a day. I probably had like a 20 or $30 like overdue, like overdue fees for that book just because I didn't want to return it. Just because I was just like, this is too sick not to return. I eventually returned it out of... Uh, sheer guilt but i actually did end up a few years ago finally picking up a first edition on ebay i think for like 20 bucks that's awesome but it's it's so funny that king kind of ties into why you and i are even friends to begin with because the first band i ever been became obsessed with was the ramones who which we share a deep love and admiration for and is both our favorite band oh deep deep passion it's it's deep-seated it's deep-rooted 
And I, I found it so interesting, especially when like you had got a hold of me like a little while ago and you told me about that version of Pet Cemetery. And I believe it was CJ was in there, correct? And you're like, it's a whole different. It's different from the single version. It's different from the version they put in the, the credits of the film. It's, I, I don't know if you want to go into that right now, but like, I can't remember like how you would explain it. But it, I was like, what? How did I miss this? Like, well, where well, was I? It was right under my nose the whole time because I had gotten the UK set, like the UK yeah. single, which yeah. is a, uh, which is a, you know, a seven inch or you know, forty five. Uh, you know, before it was considered a seven inch record. Um, but that version was actually, I ended up, I did like hours of research online, just trying to figure out why this sounds different, what recording this was. And it actually is a recording that was done with, uh, this producer called Bill Laswell after, cause the movie opened in April of 89 and brain drain did not get released until September of 89 or no i take that back excuse me i messed my timeline up yeah it was 88 yeah no no it was it was 89 but it was march of 89 that brain drain came out okay uh it was march of 89 when brain drain came out the movie got released in i think i think my timelines right I, i i'm trying to and well either way the um that version that's on that UK seven inch because the U the the movie did not come out in the UK until November of eighty nine so several months later it didn't come out so that version was recorded as a single in the UK and pressed and released but after the US theatrical release so the release that's on Brain Drain and then that that occurs in the movie is the you know the very first version the original recorded version of Pet Cemetery and then this Bill Laswell one. Is it, you know this has it, Dee is not on this recording, uh, CJ is or actually no actually I found out that it wasn't C, it wasn't CJ uh, on the recording I actually did find this out and I'm not sure if I even told you but um, I can't think of the guy's name I'm blanking on the guy's name right now but the guy one of the guys uh, who produced it who produced this Bill Let Bill Laswell produced this version and then another guy Gene. Bordeaux, I can't really remember. Oh, the... is that the guy from like the Erotics or whatever? Yes, or... he he played ba- he played bass on that recording apparently. So so he he also this this guy you're talking about he's the one didn't he help produce was it Animal Boy? Yes. Was that him? I'm trying. I I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't remember if it was the Erotics or not, but I know exactly what you're talking about. He looks like a like. I'm trying to think, he's got the crazy ass hair and shit. He was he was in one of those bands. Um, it, it took me. It took me. I found a whole like blog from 2007 that was all about the Pet Cemetery single and how it was released because Sire released it in the U.S. Chrysalis released it in the U.K. Uh, Gene Buvor, I guess, is the okay. guy. Yes, is the guy's name, and yeah. but. Yeah, and he did. He did produce Animal Boy. Yes, and yes, and he was from Gene Beardor was from uh, yeah the Plasmatics. Plasmatics, not the Erotics. I'm sorry. And uh, in the original, I guess, and I didn't know this until recently. Um, Dee Dee did not play very much, if at all. It's kind of unconfirmed what he actually played on Brain Drain because apparently Daniel Ray played bass on a lot of the album. You know, I, I really wonder. 
like any interviews I've seen, because I know he's been peppered in like some of the big like the documentary releases. I wonder what he's actually holding back. You know, not to wanting to like dredge up things. Like he's always been kind of straightforward or whatever. But like, I don't know. I, I often wonder that because wasn't he on? Wasn't he on the end of the century? Like, didn't he have like? He was like the bigger like bald dude to go see, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I often wonder like what he wants to talk about, and if there's things that it's like I don't even want to go down that alley. I don't even want to bring up weird things, like especially posthumously. It's like. Let's let D.D. rest in peace, you know, like, I, I don't even want to be that guy being like, well, I actually played on Brain Drain the majority of the stuff. Yeah, he, what? he didn't reach out and try to ever take credit for any of that, ever. And uh, I almost think he is a little unsung because a lot of those writing credits, especially um, from the you know mid to late 80s, a lot of those writing credits, you see his name pop up more and more as you get into the later 80s. Well, and not only that, but like in that, remember that they did that tribute for Jai Ramon in, in Hollywood and they had like all of those people come in? Yeah. Like Ransom was there. Now, what did Daniel Ray play on stage for like the last three songs that he was out there with Rollins. Yeah. I'm trying to remember because I'm pretty sure he was out there for like a set of songs and I want to say it was like the last set when they were all out there and I'm pretty sure Hank Rollins was out there too. I, I could be wrong. I watched that. Rollins was definitely there. I'm trying to remember it because I haven't watched it in a while but I'm definitely going to have to revisit that soon for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, I digress. Yeah, yeah, that's, you bring up the Ramones with us, and and we will, the Ramones podcast is definitely going to happen soon, um, because, you know, there's just so much we're going to go into, and and we definitely, we've talked about that, and we want to make that a two-part episode for sure, because there's just so much to dive into with that band. Well, it's it's more than deserving of two two parts, especially, like, like you said, it's like you bring it up around us, like we talk about that for hours. Oh, yeah. Uh, But anyway, back to what I was initially saying, because that introduced me to the Ramones, and that was obviously the first thing that we talked about. And I think, uh, I think, uh, I want to say the first time you were, you and I met was, I think, in uh, Rick Crosby's basement. Um, (laughs) And you were like jamming with him uh, for what would become the the Bazans. The Bazans. Um, but, and, uh, you know, it's funny, we never really had a lot of, uh, I know we talked about, like, movies and some horror movies and stuff like that, but we never really dived into anything extensive, so it's really cool to hear you kind of speak a little bit about uh, King, and, you know, we definitely gotta get together and, and dive into more, definitely more movie talk for sure, but of course more King talk, because I'm sure we could trade, uh, trade uh, suggestions on what to dive into for for each other, whether it be for film or novels. Oh, absolutely. And, and that was one of the things, too, like when, when you and I were kind of like talking about this and I approached you, I'm like, look, I, I really want to be part of this. There was so much more that I wish that I could have reread and rewatched more recently because, for example, Langoliers. It's like I read that. That's in Four Past Midnight, which is like a short strip collection. Even though the book's not a short story, um, but I read the Langoliers and watched it like in high school. Same with like Secret Window, Secret Garden, which they made the giant death film, Secret Window. Like these are, are things, which was also in Four Past Midnight. These are things that I read years ago, 
And even if I wanted to talk about him now, I wouldn't be able to give it justice from the books or from the story's perspective because it's just been so long. And actually, like, right now, I'm, I'm just about done with Thinner, and I still have yet to watch the movie. So, like, there's stuff in the pipeline, but, like, for me, it's like I've read The Shining, and, and obviously I've seen the movie my whole life, but I've read The Shining recently enough, I've read Ris- Misery recently enough, and Dreamcatcher recently enough to be able to kind of talk about the books and give them enough credit, but also kind of cross-reference them with the movie. So, like, I can kind of do that well. And like I said, I, I do feel bad because there's so much more that I wish I kind of remembered well enough. But there's been so many stories I've read since then, and it's all, I mean, it's all great, especially especially Langoliers, and especially, like, The Mist, for example, um, which was a great short story. I thought it was a great movie, too, in terms of adaptations. I know some people probably weren't as thrilled with it, but I thought it was all. Yeah, that movie, it kind of got a little more hate than I was surprised that it got. Um, But I didn't have a problem with it all, and I thought it was great. And, you know, it's the acting in it was really solid. And it was a really enjoyable film, especially for a film that came out, you know, after the heyday of all the King adaptations. To be that solid, I was kind of, uh, I was relieved, honestly, that it was as uh, enjoyable as it was. You know, it's funny, I was watching it with one of my family members, like, I don't know, it was a few months ago or something, and we got her watching it, and she was, like, really upset. And I think, and again, I don't know if people who watched the movie got upset with it, but at the very end, the irony of the entire story, you know, him essentially killing his child, when seconds later, it's all it's all over. And, and I think, I don't know if it left a bad taste in people's mouths or if they just didn't like the overall concept of the story, but I, I thought it was great. And again, it goes back, I don't want to say it goes back to the well, but it goes back to that formula that King is so great at where you have a big group of people, they're all together, they're tied together in one form or the other. Obviously, in the midst, we're trapped in the supermarket, we don't know what's going on. In other books, it's like Under the Dome, The Mist. You know, obviously Salem's lives. Like, we're kind of all in this together. Here's what happens, and here's how we all interact, because we're all going through hell collectively. So, again, it's only speculation, but I don't know. I like the mess a lot. Now, you said, did you say you just recently uh, read uh, Thinner? I am almost done with Thinner. I, I'm about, I want to say maybe 100 pages left. He literally just got to the gypsy camp and just confronted the old man. So that's where I'm at right now. And he, he got back to his hotel room, and the gangster from the, the city, Ginelli or Gianelli or whatever, is at his door. So, like, I'm so close to the end. And then, obviously, um, the movie is next. And the movie is... Is that Robert Duvall? Um, that is... Uh, Tom Holland directed it. Um, the guy that was in it... Um... What's his name? He was, uh, he was, uh, RoboCop. Or wait, no, not, wait, hold on. Luckily, I have the DVD right here, and I always, yes, Robert John Burke, who played RoboCop in the third RoboCop. Why was I thinking it, oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I have not, I've not seen the movie, and I specifically wanted to wait to read the book prior to, but I can tell you right now, the book is amazing. Um, I, I didn't know how I was going to feel about it, you know, but 
you know, obviously it's part of that Richard Bachman like era of writing. And um, I recently just read The Regulators, which was phenomenal. Um, great story, which then mirrors uh, Desperation, which he wrote as Stephen King. But Thinner So Far is, is awesome. I, I don't know what, how, like how you feel about the, the Thin, movie. But Thin, Thinner is actually the only King work that I read the novel prior to the movie. So how well do you think it held up, especially because you read the book first and then watched the movie, which is kind of the path that I'm following. Was there, without, I guess, any spoilers, was there any, like, major things that you were super psyched about and then things that were kind of like a disappointment? I mean, it kind of, I feel like he was just way more, um, I mean, obviously, novels are are always going to be more descriptive and you kind of, you know, it's left to your imagination, so you obviously paint it as as cool and as uh, as eerie or what have you, whatever. Uh, you always paint it bigger and larger and better than what's ever going to be put to 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 you know to to the screen. Right. Um, it is the movie is I don't think anywhere near close to as good as the novel. Um, the movie is honestly, it suffered from having like a really low budget and it feels like kind of rushed as uh, for the film. The book is a little more enjoyable to read. Um, just because I feel like if I could equate it to watching it as a film, I mean, the film just seems, the film seems a little rushed. It feels like everything happens a little, uh, too fast. Um, and it doesn't, I mean, there's not a lot of character development and that was kind of like, I mean, I love Pet Cemetery, the, the film, um, but the book is so much more descriptive and there's so much more, uh, character development. And that's what a lot of the film adaptations suffer are character development. You don't really have a whole lot of time to, it's like you got roughly 45 minutes to get invested because the next 45 minutes, are, you know, when the shit's going to start going down, you know, heading into the, you know, the end of the second act. Um, so it's, it's, I don't think I've read a King book where it, the movie beat the book. Um, and that goes tenfold, I think, for Thinner. With that said, the Thinner is a very fun and campy film. Uh, it came out in the mid-90s, I think 95, I think. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure 95. Um, but he just, I just kind of took the, the novel a little more, it was a little more creepy, whereas the film came off a little more campy, and I don't want to really, I don't want to spoil anything, um, but yeah, it was just, uh, the film, you could just paint your own picture with, uh, reading a novel that you're just, it's never, the film's never going to live up to what you've painted before you've actually seen a film adaptation of a story, of the, a King story. But, you know, I, I think that that's, like, that's a huge part of really what plagued adaptations into film from King's work. And it's funny, it's like, I, I talked about, like, The Shining, specifically the movie versus the book, like, a bunch of times with, like, some of my other friends who are, are super big into film. And, and, and one of my buddies told me that apparently, like, I guess when King originally was working with Kubrick, he brought forward a script that would have, it would have made like a four hour movie or a four and a half hour movie because again, you have King attempting to act, to basically bring in his book and his style of, of 
developing the characters, and again, getting you caring so much about them. And, and, and Kubrick was like, no, it's not happening. And then, like, I also heard that, like, down the line, he ended up getting booted, like, off the set entirely, which I, I found was super hilarious because I know that Kubrick, again, like King, is very, very specific. It's everything's deliberate, the attention to detail, and, and, and I think just, I guess, moving into it, it's like, on the outside, I, I love The Shining for a suspense, thriller, elements of horror. I, I think it's a great film. And this might not be popular opinion, but I, I don't think it's a great King adaptation. I, can, again, I could not agree more. What, what I found is you have, you're taking the concept and some light ideas from the book, and then you're completely changing. I don't want to say everything, but there's, there's a lot of key elements that are switched around. And there's also a lot of, like, there's also a lot of things that are changed around, which, again, from my perspective, looking at it, like, why did you change that? Like, for example, Room 237. Like, in the book, it's 217. Maybe there's some, maybe Kubrick was on to something. I know there's that whole avenue where Kubrick was, like, talking about, like, the Apollo missions and all that stuff. And I don't know how much you've gotten into that, but, like, maybe there's something to it. But, but again, there's such small things in the book that were changed in the film, like another one was um, the rope mallets, essentially croquet mallets. You know, in in the movie, Jack Nicholson's character, he's, you know, he's running through the hotel with his axe, and that's what he's using to chop through the door, that famous scene where he's looking in, uh, you know, at Wendy. It, it's the rope mallet. So it's, it, again, these are small things, which, why did you change those? Was it done intentionally? Were you onto something? Did you not care enough about it? Or am I just being a really, really psychotic King fan looking into this? No, you know what I'm saying? I, like, I think I think Kubrick had a certain style. And as much as I know he was like a huge King fan, and I, I believe that he just had a certain style of how he saw a film, how he envisioned, you know, the story coming together. And, you know, whether, you know, hell or high water, if, you know, it didn't match up with his vision, he adapted along the way. Whether, you know, King liked it or King fans liked it or whether it stayed true or to the novel, the novel or what have you, they just, he just kind of, he didn't care. He, that was his vision and he kind of, which is it's almost shocking because I feel like for a while when you mention The Shining, you think Kubrick is over King in a lot of aspects because the film is so iconic um, and because it's so revered and so many people know – there's no question that more people have seen the movie as opposed to the read the book. Um, and I know Kubrick was very – particular and he was a very hard-nosed uh director and he ran all of his sets like that and there is uh there's actually a Kubrick uh documentary on Netflix I've yet to get into and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but it apparently just gets into you know everyone who had worked with him in his career uh pretty much talking about what kind of guy he was and what kind of film director he was and from the little I've uh watched of it not very much at all he seemed like someone who had a vision and he didn't really care who he agitated or pissed off uh, to get the vision done, especially, you know, when it came to things like uh, 
how how he saw it, whether it was little tweaks with weapons um, or uh, you know a story altogether. It just seemed like I almost feel like he thought like he deserved to show the shining for what he thought it was. Um, I mean, and to, to, to a certain degree, I think, uh, he did because so many people revere the film. Oh yeah. And, 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 and kind of like you had mentioned before, it's like, you know, I'm wondering if people having then watched the movie, which was massive, massive success. Um, I'm wondering if people then went and read the book. So they got a, a taste of both because again, even the minor things like the, the weapons and the, the changes in rooms, there's also some glaring, some big glaring like differences. And, you know, one of them being like the topiary animals, like the, the animals, you know, caught out of grass or alive, um, the boiler room and the boiler room explosion, but also the element of basically Jack being in the basement. And a lot of, they don't really explain it at all in, in the movie, they kind of take a different angle with it, but in the book, he, he wants to write a book about, Jack wants, Jack Torrance wants to write a book about the Overlook, because the Overlook has this really weird history of like, not only murders, but just like dirty dealings, like politicians, and stuff like that, and there's a lot of shady stuff that went down there, so he wants to write a book, because he was a teacher, he got kicked out of this, uh, the place he was working for like, injuring a student, and he was, like, struggling with alcoholism. He swears it all off, whatever they move, he takes his job as caretaker. But while he's there, he, he ends up going into, like, the, the cellar, like, the basement, and he's, he's stumbling across these old news articles, and it, it kind of, it, he becomes super obsessed, and as he's going back, like, upstairs to, to be with his family, they report him, like, kind of smelling like alcohol, whereas in the movie, it does a much more straightforward job when he meets Grady, when they're, or not Grady, um, what's the name of the bartender? Uh, I can't remember his name, super creepy looking. He's sitting at the bar and uh, he offers him a drink. You know, remember he walks in and the bar's empty and he sits, oh, Lloyd, Lloyd. Is his name Lloyd? Yeah. You're a hell of a bartender, Lloyd. Like, that's that's what he says to him. Like, I'm, pr- I'm almost positive it's Lloyd. Man, um, I gotta, you know what, I've, I'm so detached from the movie just because I I can honestly say I have not watched the movie since I think early years of high school. So I actually need to revisit that because – and I feel like more people keep talking about it as the years go on about uh, about it, about uh, The Shining, the, Kubrick's The Shining. So I'm going to have to revisit it because honestly I have not watched it in – you're talking almost a decade and a half now. Right. Um. I don't think anybody can dispute that like Jack Nicholson was amazing in it. I feel like he, that is where crazy. Jack Nicholson. People can say you know, uh, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest or what have you. I feel like that is where Jack Nicholson became Jack Nicholson. Just his his mannerisms like throughout the whole movie, especially as he's going like crazy and stuff. Like his little like his his twitches and sh- I mean it's. It's it's awesome. Like, it, I feel like he. Ta- I feel like he tapped into what his capabilities as an actor was, and from that point on, he carried those mannerisms and that style and those capabilities from that point on in his film career. Oh, absolutely, and and it's funny. Like another another like actor actress like that, which again I've seen 
some of her stuff, but not a lot. But the more that I see, I, I just really love. Obviously, the most recent one for me has been like American Horror Story Hotel, but Kathy Bates in Misery. Oh, yeah. Um, which, which she, I don't know if you've read the book, but developing into Annie Wilkes was just, she really kind of enveloped that role as like the psychotic, crazy, like fan perfectly super crazy well as soon as i saw her in last the last season's uh, american horror story that's the first thing you think when you see her going around uh you know wielding wielding uh what, what i can't remember what she was wielding in the show but that's immediately what i thought of i was just like jesus christ if this isn't like it had to be so, somewhat of the casting of on her part for that at least for that role had to be inspired by you know obviously misery right um, she's, um, you know, she's an act, it's so cool to see her actually, you know, in, uh, in a few horror films, because I feel like her style of acting gives, you, you know, something that's can still considered a second-rate citizen as the horror genre, and I feel like someone is, it is really top-tier as her, as her in her acting, uh, kind of brings a little credibility to horror when, you know, it, it, horror is credible beyond all regard in, you know, horror fans' eyes. Um, but, you know, it's often looked down upon as the, you know, redheaded stepchild of the film industry. So when you get someone that is as well-rounded and as kind of, I don't even know what to say, just like, just truly an amazing actress to get her to participate in any kind of film that is outside of, you know, a drama or, you know, even a comedy, which she's done a lot of, uh, it kind of brings a little bit more credit to the horror genre as a whole. Oh, absolutely. And, and that was, that was one of the things that I really liked because there's elements I don't want to say of dark comedy in misery, but the way in which the book was written, there are some elements of dark comedy because A, she's insane. B, she's obsessive. But C, she's, she's super bipolar, which I, that was my, I guess that was one of the things that I don't, I think they did an RA job touching on elements of it. But like in the book, she has like, she has this place she goes to called like the Laughing Place, which is like another cabin like in the mountains. And she would just leave, which she does it in the movie, but she does it a couple more times in the book. And like you see this, these drastic like turns from being like very angry, very wrathful to being like super nice. And she like binges on food and she's literally just nuts. And, and, and I love seeing her pull that off, given the constraints of obviously a time in the movie but also ratings and, you know, I think that was one of the, the reservations I had with the movie is it got way more gruesome. Yeah. Than as, as, it tend, as it tends to get, but they omitted a lot of stuff, especially the lawnmower scene where she runs over the dude, the, the trooper's head in the <laughs> lawnmower, which was fucking brutal, which is super brutal. And like, and then obviously like they didn't even go into detail about her sawing off his thumb in the movie. What she did with one of those like carving knives, you know, that you carve turkey with. Yeah. Like she she shoots him with like uh, you know painkiller and then saws his thumb off because he's bitching about like the typewriter falling apart. Which when I read it, like I wasn't laughing, but I was like, this is like 
fucking, like, what the fuck? This was awesome. A, B, what am I reading? You know, like, and, and again, for as, as brutal as the movie got, especially with the hobbling scene where she, like, breaks his ankles or whatever, breaks his leg, like, that was, that was pretty, that was pretty gruesome. There's, that was pretty, like, there's, um, so have you heard of this? You've heard, have you heard of Shout Factory, the company Shout Factory? Why, why do I know? Is, is that is that associated with like horror, horror stuff? Well, so Shout Factory is a, a company that releases like uh, I guess they kind of release like genre films, but they have a subdivision called Scream Factory. Now they have put out some King works, but they are actually putting out a Misery, a collector's edition Misery Blu-ray DVD um, that has like a bunch of brand new special features and brand new commentaries, and it has some alternative artwork, and it's actually. Uh, yeah, I don't, I think it's out. It just recently came out. Um, but definitely check that out because I need to pick that up and it actually look the alternative artwork looks really good and it has a whole bunch of, a whole like slew of new special features. That's awesome. And, and I think, I think that's, that again, like I said, with, with, the, with the time constraints and the rating restraints in terms of what they could put into the movie and what they wanted to put in the movie, I think it did a pretty good job. Like that's, that's a good example of an adaptation that they cherry picked what they could from the story. Again, I wish I wish they could have gone into detail, but in the book, one of my things that I wasn't super crazy about was like basically the whole crux of the book where he's rewriting Misery's Return for Kathy Bates. And in the book, they go into much more detail, and you basically read the book as he's writing it, which I wasn't... I wasn't super invested in, but I understood why it was included because you had to get what he was going through. He's literally writing the story specifically for Annie Wilkes. And like, again, in the movie, they did show him typing, but they didn't go into so much detail, which I liked. I liked because it would have been hard to keep people's attention. It's like, what the fuck? There's a story going on, but then there's him writing the story. And now I have to kind of suffer through the story as well. Um, but I, I think I think the, the movie did such a I think the movie did a good job. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think if I had to say another one that were the movie I felt like held up to the book um, was Cujo. Oh, dude, absolutely, absolutely. I I recently that was another one I've read like in the past year. Um, so so let me ask you. So in terms of in terms of the movie. Um, again, what, what were some parts that you were like, spot on? Like, this is great. Whether or not it's, it's super true to the book, like, what are some things that you really like liked about the movie a lot? I really think D. Wallace shined in providing, uh, you know, a character that not only, you know, it just bled like, bled like the dying mother role, um, you know, the care, like the, just like a true blue, you know, cause you got that in the story about, you know, this is truly a mother trying to protect her child from this rabid dog. Um, and you know, you saw, I feel like it almost like as well as King paints a picture in the characters in his books, if there was one character that lived up to that, it was D. Rawls, D. Wallace's uh, portrayal in Cujo. Oh, it was just unmatched, and she had so much. The lungs she had for that set, for that film, for the filming of that movie, 
I think it could be, uh, you know, they could be combated with anybody in the horror genre ever. She was just spot on. And obviously the, the, um, the book ends a little bleaker than the movie does. But I'll tell you what, I mean, she is just, uh, that is one movie that like, I didn't read the book until later on. And that was a movie I saw real young too. It was Cujo. And I mean, dogs are real. A dog can get a dog yeah. can get rabies and and do that to you. So the fact that it was kind of something that could actually happen too, I think it, that that ho- the horror of the situation was a little more frightening because it was something that could potentially happen. Well, and that was something that I think the book really captured was the realness of it, and they, they did a good job of this in the movie too, but I, I think one of the things too that creeped me out a lot about both of them collectively is A, it's like the claustrophobia of being trapped in a car. Oh, absolutely. It's super hot outside, you're, you have no supplies, and there is a threat. There's literally a crazy rabid dog outside of the car that's preventing me from leaving, and just how they went into detail about like suffering through this whole thing, and, and again, it, 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 it's that classic formula where you get so much backstory on these characters and as they're going through it, you're just like, I feel for these people. I feel for this 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 mother and her son. And it it was just like, it, it was pretty, it was quite, it was brutal, man. Like, especially like in the book when they're describing this like huge dog like running into the side of this car trying to get in, like just bashing itself. And it, it's so crazy. And I, I, I thought it was awesome all around. Like, it was just, great movie the book was the book was a little i think i don't want to say long-winded but i i heard something interesting about king not just as an aside i i heard certain eras of king's work he was doing he was abusing certain substances oh a lot i think a lot throughout a lot of his career he was a lot he was on and off of a lot of substances well i i think i i could be wrong about this but like Tommy Knockers, I want to say Cujo, I think he was boozing a lot during that. And, and again, I don't want to say it as fact, I'm not sure, but like, it's funny because at, at the very end of the book, you know how Stephen King will do either an afterword or like notes the author or whatever it is, a uh, constant reader. He, he lists how long it took him to write the book. And I remember when I got to the very end of Cujo and I finished it and I got to the last page and was like, it took him like, I want to say almost like two years to write the book. And it's not a long story. It's not Under the Dome. It's not The Stand. It's not Insomnia. It's like, it's a short book. And I remember thinking, like, was he just super drunk this whole book? Because, again, it's a good book. It's super scary. But, like, it made me laugh. Like, holy shit. Like, I didn't think it would have taken it this long to do. Well written. But, like, holy crap, dude. Gotta lay off that bottle or or whatever. Well, he was probably, yeah, you gotta think if he was really, because I know he definitely uh, was... Uh, boozing, which I I love that you use the term boozing because I feel like that word doesn't get thrown around as much as it should when talking about someone who who drinks alcohol. Boozing is a great word. Uh, I feel like it's underrated. Um, but yeah, he, he was probably nodding off in between chapters. I mean, <laughs> just to just to think of him with those with those huge glasses, just like. With a bottle of like wild turkey or something, just like yeah. not an like it's just it adds to the whole allure of the king mythology and everything that incorporates him, his 
his novels and all the film adaptations. I mean, it's just, he's such a unique figure in and out of his books. Well, it's, it's funny, you know, especially one of the things with him, and this is, this is I won't bore you anymore on this. <laughs> this be one of the last things I'll talk to you about, but like, it's funny that you got a kick out of that because, so, with Dreamcatcher, right around the time that he had written it, I, I want to say it was like 2003, he wrote the book, uh, 2001, he, he had suffered a car accident. And yeah, he was yeah. So, during that time, like, he was on, like, Oxycontin or something, so the, the whole book, and, and that was something, like, I, I thought the book was good, it was, it was entertaining, the movie was entertaining, but, like, it's just, like, a clusterfuck, you know, and it, it, it's, like, getting to the very end and, like, doing some research, like, yeah, I can see that he was, you know, fucked up on pain pills, like, the entire story, like, it, it shows, it's just, the whole, like, the dream, or the memory warehouse, and the fucking, the, and the ass weasels or whatever, the fucking aliens with the teeth, and going, like, it was just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, and, and like, I, 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 I have a, the toleration for Kings, like, just his mind, I, I will read everything. But, like, reading through that, by the time I got to the end, which I thought was good, you know, with Duddits and the whole, like, the, they introduced, like, he brought in, like, a content, which is, like, in a lot of his stories, namely, like, you know, the, Dark Tower, that that whole series, like the core group of like friends with like Dundas and basically sacrificing himself to, to save like the water supply from being contaminated by Mr. Gray. Like I thought that was great, but like throughout the whole film, like when I was reading it, when they were going back and forth with like the Dream Warehouse and like him being trapped in his own subconscious and there's an alien outside trashing the place, and then watching the movie, I was like, what the fuck? Like, why did you make this into a movie? Why did you, you know, I, I love Jason Lee as Beaver. I thought he was great. He was just, he's the best smart ass that you can, you can draft up for a Oh, film. absolutely. Saying these really weird kingisms, like, bite my bender and fucking fuck me, Freddy, or the, the shit he says in, in the movie, and then the character in the book, it's hilarious, but seeing Jason Lee in that role was just, that was great. I oh, wish he would have yeah. stuck around longer. Um, Samuel L. Jackson in there as well with his fucking eyebrows in the movie. <laughs> Dude, nobody fucking mentions that shit. And, and the first time I saw it, I was like, who the fuck came up with that? Like, <laughs> what, 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 that, that detail, like, that just, I don't know. I saw that and I laugh every time I fucking see it. I'm like, what do you think was going through his head when he showed up for the, the first day of shooting? And they're like, all right, we gotta put these on your fucking dome. Like, then you can. Then we can shoot. Like what I, the fuck? if he didn't think about it right then when they were filming, how ridiculous it was. He definitely. If he didn't watch it, if he watched it afterwards, he definitely thought, "What in the fuck? <laughs> is this necessary for the film to be continued to be shot? Like, is this is this a, a key detail that we need to get <laughs> the film? Like, I don't know. It was integral to the plot. Oh, exactly. It's, it's a it's keystone, cornerstone. What else? So, did you like the movie? Did you think it was a fun, like, uh, a fun adaptation? See, I, well, I haven't read the book. Um, I did like the movie, though. It was fun. It was, uh, it, it just, uh, like, I didn't, uh, I mean, there was nothing. I haven't rewatched it, if that is any indication. Like, it didn't didn't immediately push me to rewatch it anytime soon. Uh, but I liked it. It was fun. I mean, I went and... 
I I think I want to say I, I want to say I cold bought it uh, when it came out, like when it came out, like to buy, and I bought it just like I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. I watched it and I enjoyed it, but that was like that was kind of the extent of it, honestly. I mean, obviously Lee being the the main proponent for that. Well, and again, I think you you know you, you said it perfectly. Like the movie's fun, and it really is. Like I, I think the the cast is strong, um, but again, I think you see a director, a group of writers, or whatever whatever you know combination that that was struggling to adapt a book that was written by somebody fucked up on pain pills for an extended period of time. The whole length of him writing the book, then struggling to put that into film and. I know a lot of people are, are pretty critical of the book, and again, a, for being a Stephen King book, it, it was good, it was entertaining, um, but let's just say I haven't reread it since yeah. I read it. Uh, just the, the, the same with the movie. I watched the movie once, and I was kind of like, eh, this, this was fun, like, I, I'm good, you know, I'm good. I guess to to kind of wrap up uh, to wrap up our conversation here, I got two last uh, questions. So, real quick, have you seen, you've obviously seen, have you read, have you read it? I have not read it, and the reason I never read it is because when I was first around it, it was in high school, Um, my buddy Travis was reading it, he had to pay it back, and he was like, dude, when I'm done, he's like, I'll let you borrow it, he's in like, maybe like ninth, 10th grade, and I was like, no, I was, I was in the middle of reading The Dark Tower. And, like, at that time, when I was reading it through, it was only seven books. It wasn't the eighth book, Went Through the Keyhole. That had not been introduced at that time. So when I went, when I was reading it through, I didn't really want to deviate away from it. So I, I finished it. I finished Dark Power, like, the, the whole series in high school. And then from there, I immediately jumped on just, like, some of his earlier work. And, and I overlooked it, A, because it was a big fucking book. Not to say that that shit scares me off, but, like, I just had finished thousands of pages. It's an investment. Like, once it's you dive... It's a fucking investment. Yeah. So, so, no, I didn't read it. And then the, the further along I got, I was like, oh, I'll get to it. And then by, like, two years ago, whenever they had released that, like, oh, we're, we're remaking the movie, I was like, I'm not going to fucking read it now. Like, I don't want to go to the store and, like, fucking buy it. And maybe that's me, like, caring too much about what fucking people think. But I'm like, you know what? I'll fucking wait. Now, have you I seen mean, the... Did you see the TV miniseries? The the, the original... Did you like the, that that portrayal the, of the story? Well, ha- not having read the story, I, I thought it was awesome. I, I, I loved it. Tim Curry, super funny, super smartass. Which, that was one thing that I, I liked a lot about the original, which I did see the new one, the first chapter of the new one. Um, I, I liked how... Like, you remember that scene when Tim Curry's in the library and Ritter is, like, freaking out and the balloons are exploding and, and Pennywise is on the railing, like, with the spinner, the noise spinner, and he's just, like, mouthing off nonsense? Oh, like, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, this, this, this one right here is, like, this is it for me. Like, this is what made me love that movie. Kiss me, fat boy. That, like, that kills me. The kiss me, fat boy thing. Like, I used yeah. to say I used to say that. <laughs> I used to say it to Rick Crosby all the time, and he'd have no clue what I was talking about. Yeah, I, 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 I,
he was probably so uncomfortable. I can <laughs> imagine maybe he'd raise it, but I can just see him being super uncomfortable. Now, have well, you now, seen have you seen the new version, the 2017 it? I have. I, I I liked it. I, I thought there was a couple scenes where I didn't particularly like the the way in which it was shot. Um, in terms of whether it's I want to say camera angles, but some of the editing that was done, um, like the marionette scene where like the camera twisted with his head. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't like super crazy about it, but overall, dude, I thought it was it was super creepy. I loved some of the imagery that they worked into there, but I. <sighs> And I, and I also really like that they showed the historicity of it. And they, they gave specific dates, which I know they did a little bit in the miniseries, but not as much. Yeah. I, I thought, dude, the scene when he's in the library and that headless, like, burnt kid carrying the eggs was chasing him through, like, the archives. Yeah. I, I like, I, like, started laughing. I looked over at my fiance, I'm like, I'm like, holy fuck, like, this is fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> I... I, I I, I was great, dude. I, I love that. I think I'm, A, I'm very interested to see what they're going to do with the chapter two or part two or whatever, but B, I'm very excited to read the book. Yeah. Now, last question. Favorite King novel, favorite King film adaptation? All right. Favorite King novel, I got to say The Gunslinger, the first book of the Dark Tower series. Wow, impre- that, that's a that's an impressive choice, actually. That's that's my favorite, just because I love the series. Favorite non, and, and I know I'm kind of shoving the answer here. Um, favorite non, like Dark Tower related King book. I, I gotta, dude, I gotta go with The Shining. I, I just think that's one of the creepiest books that I've read. It gets you, it, you're you're shoved right into like being creeped out immediately. Like, he doesn't take as much time to deliberate. I, I just, I love The Shining. I think it's one of the best King books. Again, non-Super Dark Tower related. You know, there's threads. Um, I think that's one of the best. Um, favorite King, favorite King movie? Uh, I gotta say, I don't know, man. That, that's a really good question. Um, I really like Secret Garden or Secret Window. Which was the the Secret Window, Secret Garden adaptation with Johnny Depp, um, more of a suspense driven uh, movie and in short story. But I like Secret Window, and, and I know that that's not like a super crazy like popular one, but I, I like that a lot. It's kind of like a guilty pleasure thing. If I can, if I can recommend uh, one of the more what I think is one of the most underrated film film adaptations of his work is actually the adaptation of Cycle of the Werewolf, which is Silver Bullet. Have you seen that? I have not. Do I've, wa- I've read I've, I've read Cycle of the Werewolf, which there's pictures in that. Is there pictures in that? Yeah, there's uh, illustrations, and the guy's yeah. name who il- okay. did the illustrations escapes me. But yeah, that's a uh, Bernie Wrightson. Okay. Our, our good friend John Engel just helped us out with that answer. And it's, it's pretty awesome? Yeah, it's, uh, I was actually just looking up, uh, last night, I was like, I gotta get, like, a see what a first edition of that goes for. Now, you can get a really rough first edition of that for $100, but then they have edition, first editions with the dust cover that go up to $950. Damn. That does so come with actually, a that does come with a Stephen King signature on the nine hundred and fifty dollar one. If someone wants to get on eBay and uh, bid on that one right now, so so I guess my my question for you is like, so 
So what is your favorite, what's your favorite King, same question, what's your favorite King book, what's your favorite King adaptation? It's the the answer is the same for the for both uh, Pet Cemetery uh, Unmatched. I feel like the book is. I mean, he still says it's the only book that he started writing and then put it away because one, it scared him. Two, he didn't think anybody was ready for that kind of horror. So I guess my and that's 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 such an awesome answer. And like, I have not read Pet Cemetery yet. Um, again, it was one of those I kind of skipped over because I, I took it for granted, but, you know, I'm, I'm big on, like, the short story collections. Have you read anything from Nightmares and Dreamscapes yet? No. So they, so this is where it gets cool. They did, like, a mini-series, and they did episodes from that. They didn't do all of them, but they ran episodes that mirrored each one of the short stories. Highly recommend it. Awesome. I'm going to have to check. I'm pretty sure it was Nightmares and Dreamscapes well, I'll take that recommendation, and I recommend to you watching Silver Bullet and reading Pet Cemetery. Awesome. Yo, Jesse, this has been uh, amazing. I'm sorry to talk your ear off for the better part of an hour. No, I was, that's great. I was pumped we uh, had such an awesome conversation. It's good to, good to connect, and especially to connect on King, who I think if we've ever talked about before, it was very, it was in passing, so it was cool to kind of dig into this, and hopefully uh, many more conversations to come, and definitely, definitely a couple-part Ramones episode in the very near future. Super psyched about the, the Ramones, and again, thanks for having me on. Dude, I'll be in touch, man. Hell yeah, man. Thank you, brother. All right, later, dude. Later. What an awesome conversation. This is the first part of the Stephen King episode. Uh, We'll be returning very shortly with three of my best friends in the whole world. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned.